Hey, it's Jose Galison. You're watching No Way Jose. You can find me on the No Way Jose YouTube channel, all the major auto pocketers, and Rumble as well. Today, my guests are. I have Chris Bertman, who's a journalist uh, for Timcast, and then I also have who, and, and Chris will be kind of operating as a co-host for this, and then I have Tanya Yiki, which this is a big one for anyone who knows my show. I am very excited and honored uh, to to have to do this. Uh, I do want to remind you guys how this works. This one will probably sit behind the paywall for a while. Usually it's a week. If you want to be able to get these early, it's patreon.com. There's no way Jose 2020. I will tell patrons out there, please do not tell other people about this. And if you're going to, I don't know, try to keep it uh, subtle because uh, it may be a while. Because, I mean, Chris, uh, you know, as I said, he's a journalist. Uh, I believe he intends on writing a piece about this. So I'm going to wait to release these at the same time. So uh, if you're a patron, uh, this will get dropped as soon as this is done recording. Uh, I had to prop, uh, I had to use OPSEC for this one, Operation Security, because uh, you'll see why. If you, I mean, if you know Tanya's story or Yiki's story, uh, you'll know why. Uh, but if not, maybe you'll find out a little bit today. Uh, I do want to give a quick shout out to my sponsors who make this possible. I have Toad uh, at Tower Gang Toad. Then I have at Abrogate D's. Then Kevin B. Clark, uh, Kevin B. Clark, a full-time guitarist and private music teacher in New York area. Then at Z O V E R A C K. Then at underscore Infinite Zeal. Then Jacob Daniel of the Biblical Anarchy podcast, which I'm supposed to be going back on there soon. Follow him at Biblical Anarchy. And then Tim Tuttle at Jollyon Klebold. Uh, thank you guys for allowing me to do what I do. Uh, yeah, I do want to let you guys know before we get into this, one more thing. Uh, this interview, we will be kind of somewhat operating. We'll try to hold your hand along the way a little bit. We'll be somewhat operating as if you have seen a lot of this stuff. That way we're not having to retread stuff. Uh, so I will give you a few uh, things to check out that will you know fill in the gaps of context. Uh, I have on my channel, I have the Terrence Hickey didn't kill himself. I believe it's, uh, you know, analyzing the sources. I believe what it's called in my OKC playlist, which that contains, you know, that contains Yiki or not Yiki, but Tanya's 97 radio interview, which is very useful for the purposes of this. Uh, and, and I have other stuff in that as well, or you can just look up the radio view. I think that'll, that'll be good either way. They also have the ni the Washington Weekly 97 article from David Hoffman that covers this. this is my, that's, in my opinion, probably the, the best article there is on the topic. And then the recent CNN one from Thomas Lake, um, which that kind of is what spurred on a lot of this. And if you want to, then I also part seven of my OKC series focuses almost exclusively on uh, Yiki. Also on Sean T. Farron's is kind of like a side point in that, but mostly Yiki. Then also the Vassar interview I have in my playlist, that might be helpful to fill in some spots because that was some new information that came forward. All right, that's enough of that. Let's get Chris in here. What's up, Chris? Wait, what's up, man? How's it going? Uh, good. I'm glad to have you. Real quick before I bring Tanya on, I do find it unique bringing someone on. Uh, spinning them up on this story. I kind of want to get a quick idea of just kind of how you feel, well, your your general impressions looking into this, because 
when I first looked at this, it blew my mind. Uh, it's just like, how is this not huge? How is this not everywhere? Like, how did this even happen? Like, and, and I'm someone who do already doesn't trust the government. Uh, you know, I am already skeptical as hell. And even this was just kind of like, whoa. Uh, so I just kind of like to get your thoughts before we get Tony in here. Yeah. So I, um, I had a very basic knowledge of the OKC bombing. You know, I knew Timothy McVeigh, something happened, a bomb went off, people died. Um, I knew nothing about any of this Yankee stuff and still until you, you know, showed me some of the articles and uh, some of your videos. And as soon as I started looking into it, I was like, hold on, that's a little weird. Like nobody really looked that far into it and everything. It just, it seems like it's a bigger rabbit hole the further you get. So, you know, and same thing like you, I've grown to be uh, a lot more hesitant to trust the government. Um, I can't say that I'm surprised to learn that there might've been some funny business going on. Um, so yeah, I'm looking forward to this. All right, let's get Tanya here. Tanya, it's a pleasure to have you. Uh, super excited for this. Um, yeah, I don't know if you want to introduce yourself real quick for those who don't know you are, uh, who haven't paid attention to this at all real quickly. I think I've kind of, people get it by now, but it is a pleasure to have you. Well, thank you. It's nice to finally put, you know, name, face, everything all together. I've watched some of your podcasts before, which is part of one of the reasons I kind of reached out to you because I felt like you did a really thorough job where, um, you know, you really asked hard questions and left an open mind. So, um, and I think you asked me to introduce myself. I'm Tanya Yagi. <laughs> and, um, you know, I just wanted to come on here so that, you know, I can clear up a few details that um, my absence in the CNN article, you know, left people wondering. Yeah, I, I think a good place to start is we, we've talked before that intro I played before. Uh, that is actually from an individual named Jinx on Twitter at Crack Connoisseur. If you want to follow him, uh, it's a it's, it's actually the first thing that kind of dragged me into this. I saw that video and I was just kind of blown away dug into it, then I learned about Yiki, and then from there I learned about the larger Oklahoma City bombing. So so Yiki does have a special place in my heart in that way. Uh, you know, I very much felt s sympathetic. He reminded me a lot of myself in a lot of ways, you know, married, young kids, still kind of like a young dude, like 29, 30, well, died at 31, 29 in the Oklahoma City bombing. Uh, but there, there was so some parts of that intro that, you know, had a special place in your heart for that. And I, I just, I thought that'd be a fun story to share with people. Uh, you know, the, and you know what I'm talking about. I do. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, the, uh, part of the, uh, intro where he's being very animated, kind of larger than life. That's, that's the comical side of Yagi that made people just laugh. He was a big goofball, but he could be really serious. Anyway, on that day we were at a family reunion and he was singing to me. I'm on the other side of that film. Um, he was always singing to me when he wanted to make me laugh or make me not be as nervous. And I was, I had a newborn baby who was, you know, kind of dealing with the noise and everything. And so I was a little tense. So he breaks out into singing to me. And um, Glenn Ray, who keeps jumping in the video, is uh, was Vicky's husband. And he kept saying, stop doing that, man. Stop doing that, man. You're making the rest of us guys look bad. We don't sing to our wives. Stop it, man. So, you know, it's it's kind of a comical thing he used to do. He did that to me when we were giving birth to our first child. He walked me up and down the hospital corridors singing crazy things to me, always and forever. And just just a real sweetheart, you know, anything to break the ice and make it easier for me. He's just mm -hmm. sweet. Yeah. Um, 
All right, let's get right into the CNN stuff because you had a lot of words. We, we've been talking for months now. You had mm -hmm. a lot of words to say about the CNN article and just kind of your thoughts in general, um, just kind of why you think it happened in the first place and kind of maybe like a call to action of where we can go from here. So why do I think the CNN article happened? Yeah, that's part of it. I know you have a lot to say, so I'm sure you can go multiple different ways. <laughs> uh, so take it however you want. Well, I, I did get a call from uh, Thomas Lake. I was um, just coming fresh off of uh, a home move as well as a business move. So I was sitting in the back of the room at my job, you know, lined up in boxes behind me. And I get this phone call and this really deep voice is, hi, this is Chris. This is Tom, Thomas Lake of CNN. And I'm like, what? And he, <laughs> it was really a random call. I wasn't expecting it. And, you know, I have mixed feelings because um, the original interview or the original article that came out in May 27th of 1996 in People magazine, really, I felt took away my voice and was a certain picture was painted and I was never a part of that. Um, I know that they are associated with People magazine, so it kind of... I was a little put off. Uh, of course, I'm always skeptical because of everything I've been through. Anybody that just randomly calls me and says they're someone of that caliber. So I was a little thrown off. Um, and we just talked briefly because, you know, I just wasn't in the headspace to even, you know, wrap my head around it. And, um, you know, I, it, was, it was not lost on me that I was just shy of my 26th birthday when the first article happened, the death happened. And here I was just shy of my 53rd birthday, 26 years later, and this guy's calling me to do an interview. So it was a lot to, it was a lot to handle. Um, I just, I, I didn't make him any promises and um, he did persist in calling me, but there were certain things about, there wasn't enough disclosure to make me comfortable with wanting to do an interview with him. I didn't know what angle he was coming from. None of those things were explained. And so, um, and, and I was really busy at the time. I, I work a lot of hours. I've got a lot of, I'm in a busy season of my life. And so it was not something that I could commit to at the time frame he wanted. And so when the article came out, <laughs> there are a lot of things going through my mind. I know you know that. Um, there, some of the people in the article are people that I trust and I think the world of. One of them is Don Browning. Um, he's a wonderful man, stand-up guy. Um, he's, he's really... He's paid a price to speak out on Terry's behalf. Um, Stephen Vassar was a bit of a surprise to me. I was not expecting that. So there was new information that came from there. And in some ways, I'm kind of glad that I, I didn't become part of the article because I feel like it might have overshadowed anything that I would have added to it. So I think it was really actually, in retrospect, it's a good thing that I was not part of it because he had new information to share. So, you know, that gave him his time to be able to deal with everything that he was dealing with, just stepping out into the light the way he was. Um, some of the other characters, you know, <laughs> in the sus category, <laughs> and you can just ask me questions because you know kind of how I feel about a lot of that stuff. But overall, I was surprised that it even um, attempted to cover it as well as it did. Um, I did feel a few things went into a direction that I wouldn't have wanted to see. But, you know, overall, I thought it was a pretty good article. But like I said, I'm really kind of glad that I stepped out, stepped aside for that one.
So yeah, yeah, hundred percent. I actually, when I first saw a CNN article come out, I immediately my heart sank because I was like, <laughs> "Oh God, what is this?" Like, yeah, uh, <laughs> like, yeah. Like, yeah. It, yeah. When you were sending it to me, I was just like, "Come on, man, what what is this?" <laughs> yeah, they actually did yeah. a decent job. Like, I mean, it was I was so, surprised. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it, uh, why do you th why why do you think that now uh, after all these years we're seeing this come back up, uh, you know, especially from CNN of all places? Do you have any thoughts on that, Tanya? I do. I mean, I don't think anything from the Oklahoma City bombing is aging well. Um, there's a lot more information out there that has managed to keep resurfacing over and over and over over the years. It goes in cycles maybe, but I mean, it's, it's still, it's still alive and kicking. Um, you know, I could speculate a lot of things about CNN's perspective on that and why they would, but we have a lot of things going on politically that I think that there could have been a lot of mileage out of that one. One of my biggest fears was that the article would be spun in such a way that it might touch on a racial nerve. And, um, you know, Terry was a, a very, very even keeled person where it came to anything that related to race. I mean, for goodness sakes, we're an interracial couple with, you know, biracial children. Um, there's just so much going on that way. I didn't want it to be simply spun um, towards the police departments because police departments are under fire. And the generation that's there now are my children's age. And I don't want to see them paying the price of something that happened 20 or 30 years ago if it's not handled delicately and honestly. So I had some concerns about that, to be just really frank. So um, among others, but those are the first ones that come to mind. Yeah, that, that was the first thing that came to mind is that the they were going to take the racial angle when I opened it. Uh, which surprisingly, I haven't seen that too much. I haven't seen a whole lot of articles where they try mm -hmm. to. And I'm not going to lie. There is some small aspect where there is this. It does somewhat make him a slightly sympathetic, more sympathetic character in today's sure. today's situation to where people do see a, you know, a, a strapping black guy doing the right thing. And it does make him more sympathetic. Uh, but I mean, I generally genu uh, generally try not to lean into that at all because I do find it kind of. But if people want to read into that and make them more uh, more apt to you know dig into the story, so be it. Uh, but yes, I, I also I I, I wouldn't be the least bit surprised. I don't know if you've been paying attention to what Trinity is going on. He's still uh, he's still got stuff going in the courts, and I know. I mean, I don't know if it's. I'm, I'm not saying these things are super coordinated, but I don't know. Who knows? Maybe this is a soft disclosure thing to where you know a bunch of stuff's going to come out soon that looks real bad. So uh, you know, got to kind of you know let the narrative catch up so people don't freak out all at once. I, I'm not sure. I know we've been waiting for a while with trying to do with one of his court cases where there's supposed to be a lot coming out here soon. Uh, but I also do think there is just a big push uh, for an OKC truth right now. Mm -hmm. um, there is one other person I've said for a long time, probably my two dream interviews were you and one other person. And that other person is Ramona or Ramona McDonald that she's been referred to as both. I always found it confusing. I see articles where it's spelled R-A-M-O-N-A -A, and then somewhere it's spelled R-O-M-O-N-A and then there's McDonald. Yeah. So I don't, I always, I'm just like, I don't know if this like some, and maybe there are different people. I always try to be hesitant to, but you know, the fact that she operates as an anonymous, uh, you know, 
individual in these articles does, I think, for, for a lot of people, and I think it's a fair point to be a little bit hesitant to buy her word because she's coming across anonymously. But uh, in our talks, you've said you've actually interacted with her uh, in person. Mm -hmm. yeah. So I thought that would be interesting to kind of, you know, let you talk about her, what she was about. Obviously, we're not asking you to give out any personal information because she clearly doesn't want that. Mm -hmm. uh, but just to kind of support the fact that she exists and that, you know, she, you know, just to kind of corroborate her, because I do think that's super important for people mm -hmm. learning the story, because I think you and her are the two best pieces uh, when it comes to uh, Terry's death. And so being able to corroborate that is, you know, on a factual basis is great. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I met Ramona McDonald um, April 22nd of 1997. Um, she was part of the Heroes of the Heart uh, it was a uh, 501c kind of a nonprofit that a lot of the first responders and, um, you know, families that were impacted by it, victims, so forth, um, were involved. Not all of them, but there there was, I mean, because there's a part of the group that, you know, listens to everything that they've been told and they toe the line. And then there's another group that says, no, uh, we, we have questions. And so um, Ramona's group was gathering uh, pictures, any kind of um, evidence to tell the story of the bombing. In fact, have you ever uh, seen the book Angels Over Oklahoma City? Have you seen I've that? Seen book? It. I haven't read it, no. I've mm -hmm. seen pictures. Of well, there's not much to read, and we'll yeah. talk about that. <laughs> I have an interesting story. You ask about show and tell. This is her book right here. I have a copy. Oh, well, let me see if I can get that over there. It's on, on screen. Um, and one of the things, well, when Ramona finally reached out to me and found me, um, they had already tried to deal with um, Vicki Jones and his um, biological mom, Almar Jarahi, and they were, they were not interested in doing anything. Um, but everyone who had any information, you know, I think there was a lot of back information, people like, oh, did you know Tanya did this? Or did you know Tanya was in the police chief's office? Did, you know, so I was the one who was being a little more, you know, stubborn and asking questions. And others, they stopped after a point in time. So Ramona finally reached out to me. And Ramona was a very interesting bit of information. Um, you know, she, it was very obvious to me from conversations that she and I had that she very much knew Terry, that he was confiding a lot of things in her um, and that the group were gathering lots and lots of pictures, trying to just do a good job of telling the stories and giving honor to all of the uh, first responders. So it was, it was about preserving history. Um, one of the things also, I think I told you that I had found, <laughs> I keep just about everything. I'm just sentimental that way. Um, Ramona, because you had asked me if I could, you know, prove that I had some connection to her. And um, this is like the original Heroes of the Heart. If you see, the book was called Something Else originally. And that's when they were, it actually had narrative in it. And there was an injunction by the, um, and I'll, I'll send you a copy of this in full. I think I sent you some pictures. But there was going to be more narrative, you know, explaining different pictures and scenes, what people were looking at. And there was an injunction that was put on it. And they were told that they could no longer describe any of the pictures in the book. 
They changed the name of the book for other reasons that we'll get into at a later time. <laughs> but if you had noticed, there was a change to the name of the book. Um, and so it is only a pictorial narrative that only has names. It has names of everyone who is involved in the bombing uh, rescue effort. My name is actually in there because I worked for DHS um, Employee Assistance Program. And at that time, I think our agency was like almost 15,000 people. So a lot of people knew me. <laughs> um, you know, it was a lot of people knew that I was married to Terry. Um, you know, so I was I was around it to a certain degree. But once certain things happened with Terry and, you know, our incident where we went down to the bombing site, I was I was told, don't you ever go back down there. I don't want you to be associated. I don't want you to be seen down there. I don't care that other people, you know, my my best friend that I grew up in high school or actually my best friend since fifth grade. She was actually, you know, helping with the efforts. She was like volunteer firefighter and she wanted me to come down and I couldn't come down because he was like he wouldn't explain. But, you know, whenever whenever Terry said something very firmly, it was an understood between us, not because he was like dictatorial, but it was a, an understanding of I, I'm saying it for a reason. So um, anyway, but I don't know. You'll have to ask me something. I'm kind of getting lost in these. <laughs> yeah, it's so talking, easy we're, to do. We were, we were so, just talking. Um, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. So please. I've just this uh, 20, excuse me, I'm getting the timeline right. 26 years, right? In between the first article and the C yeah. CNN article. And yeah. you had not had any other media reaching out to you. Was it, did the cut story kind of just like. Crossbones. No one was to talk wow. to me. Yeah. Completely. Wow. And that's because yep. I actually did. I do. Ha I found my letter from Chief Gonzalez showing that I was in his office and I did get a response right. where he told me I couldn't have any information. So, um, yeah, I still have that. I still have all my original police reports, all that stuff. So, yeah, I until um, I the only people that I ended up talking to is after Ramona sought me out was. Um, Craig Roberts. I did an inter the interview that you referred to, but there was also, I don't know, what do you call it? Is it, is it shortwave radio or is that how you refer to it? It was Ted Gunderson. <laughs> I spent some time with Ted Gunderson and he was, he was a real interesting man, a total gentleman. Um, but he really opened my eyes to a lot of things that I just did not want to hear as a 26 year old young woman. Mm -hmm. So, um, but I did an interview with him as well. And we were interrupted multiple times by what appeared to be, you know, an intervention intrusion to stop the, the broadcast from going on. So those are the only two that I've ever done. Um, when I did it with Craig Roberts, I, it was kind of like one and done. I'm going to say my piece and tell what I know to the best of my ability. And, you know, and I'm glad now that I did that. I, I know a lot of people were like, why are you putting yourself through this? And it's like, this is, this was my spouse. This was my best friend. This was the father of my children. It's my job. If nobody else will stand up for him, that falls to me. So that's why I did it. Mm -hmm. um, I, I guess this kind of ties into the Ramona talk, but uh, for one, this story that I'm about to ask you about the Lucas Franey kind of story, it, it's one of the, I mean, while there is, like, obviously there's so much sad stuff when it comes to Oklahoma, uh, Oklahoma City bombing, obviously Terry, the bombing, there, there is something absurd to the, to the level of hilarity when it came to the ATF story, uh, when it comes to the elevators and all that. And 
I know Lucas Franey was a big part of that, and I guess Ramona had a lot to say about that. So, you know, bear in mind for those people listening, this is, you know, uh, you know, this, this will be coming from Tanya that came from someone else. So, you know, it, it's not like factual in that way, but it's a story she heard from someone else. And I do think it's worthwhile to go into because one of the main things people always bring up when it comes to Terry is kind of like, well, what was he looking into? What tipped him off? And I think this this story right here, it, at the very least, would explain to people what would tip him off. Like, yes, maybe this wouldn't be solid evidence that something was going on, but any rational person, this would set off something in your head to be like, something is weird here. Look for other things. So I, I do think it's important for people to kind of understand it. I think this is good to kind of add more color to the story, uh, adds a lot more expl- explanatory power. Uh, so uh, what what did Ramona tell you about the Lucas Franey story and how his interactions with Terry and that? Well, the way Ramona approached it first was she was asking me a lot of questions to kind of get like the other side view of how Terry may have been behaving during that time. And in the course of that, you know, you know, of course, I told her that he he did disclose in the car. And, and I want to clarify something about this little tidbit. When they talk about how I said he started to cry in the car, yes, that's true, but not like a crying, you know, mess. He, it, was, it was after he was trying to say certain things, it's like it just kind of finally just kind of fell out of him. Like, it's just not what they're saying it is. They're, they're lying. It's not what they're saying. And he was sobbing, but he wasn't a mess, okay? He was, you could tell he was thinking, he was processing, he was injured. So I want to clarify that because sometimes I feel like that's presented as like he just had a nervous breakdown in the car. He did not. Um, He just disclosed something, okay? Um, And there's a few things that I do want to be able to kind of put a little bit more information to things that have been said. Um, but anyway, to go on to Ramona. So she asked me about, you know, did he ever say anything to me? And that's what I told her. And she said, well, you know, you know why he called you to come and get him. Why? She said, because they threatened him. They told him he better get his, you know what, out of that hospital. He wasn't hurt. Well, that's because they had planned to make him disappear. It wasn't until his, and when I say disappear, they were going to pretend as though he were never there. They were going to scrub everything. Kind of like a little bit like what Vassar said. He feels like it now appears like he never was at the site ever. They were planning to do the same thing, but the picture of Terry went international, the one of him running from the rebel. So they couldn't hide it at that point. But anyway, so it was in the course of that conversation that she also said, well, when it all went bad was because he was fight the the ATF had they had maybe it was not just the ATF and I'm sure FBI at that point but they had told everyone to no longer be in the building helping victims which some of them just lost their minds including Terry um, and they disregarded that order um, and so one of the um, one of the responders was seen arguing with Luke Franey about something about the daycare or something about munitions. And anyway, it must've got pretty heated and Terry being the kind of person he is. And of course, bigger than everybody else in the area. He said something to Luke Franey, like, cause he kept saying that they had free fell from the elevators, that they were in the building. That was the first lie. And Terry was like, well, wait a minute. And, but he's kind of being real aggressive the way Ramona described it. 
you're trying to tell us all that you were in that building. You look like you just came out of shower. There's not a drop of dirt on you. You're clean as a whistle. Get out of here with that. It and so like over five floors, I think, if I recall yeah. correctly. So it's it's a it was yeah. a height that would kill you. So, yeah, but pe yeah. people have this idea that elevators you can just like jump at the last bit and you'll be okay or yeah. something. Well, but that's like not how it works. Fell that the elevator yeah. fell pre fell, and it was actually Oscar Johnson from Midwest Elevator was also there when I met Ramona the first time, and he also verified that his crew happened to be in the area just like Ramona and her crew in the area. And the first thing they did, because they're elevator guys, they went and checked the elevators. And so they debunked the story. So Ramona had filled in that information that Terry kind of was playing regulator and finally just got so annoyed with him that <laughs> he was like, that's enough of that crap. You obviously weren't in the building. There's not a drop of dirt on you. So just shut up. And, you know, he kind of was not, not recognizing him as an authority on that scene. So, and just a little tidbit, most people have not picked up on this. The Murrah building was in the Will Rogers division. So they had the first immediate responsibility of the building. It was in their division. So that's why Terry felt a little salty about it. And like he could say something back because technically that's their area. So. Uh, all right. Um, I guess I'm trying to think what did it be the next thing to get to. Um, all right, Jim Ramsey. Let's go ahead and get, ahead and get into him. Uh, he's an interesting fella. He There's a lot to his story. Um, he was one of the, it seems like, uh, and you'll be able to fill me in there. Uh, I, mean, I believe you'll probably agree with me. He seems to be one of the main people that was kind of pushing the official narrative. And he also was a part of the harassment campaign against you and the family, it seems like, from my understanding of the articles, unless, unless maybe there was some misconception there. Uh, and then to top it all off, in the recent CNN article, uh, he the only statement I believe from him was, uh, "No, I don't believe. I guess I don't believe that uh, you know Terry killed himself." That, I mean, that's not the exact quote. It's something along those lines. It's a very simple throwaway. Uh, oh, I don't buy it. But which I, I don't know. Maybe he's had more time to think on it. I don't know to give him benefit of the doubt. But it is it is unusual. He's gone so long. So I guess I'd like to just get into who he is. And I, I am definitely interested in the, the harassment angle. And I guess just kind of your thoughts on why he's changed his opinion on it. Well, you know, I've, I've spent a number of years very upset with Jim Ramsey. And, but for him to finally say out loud where other people can hear, <laughs> not just in confessional someplace, that he doesn't believe that Terry killed himself, I, I can soften slightly simply because that's hard to do right now. You know, that's that's not an easy a comment to make, even if he didn't elaborate on it. Um, him and him and Terry were friends. They were more Terry would have said he was an acquaintance, someone that he was very kind to. Um, you know, they Ramsey kind of kind of buddied around him. He liked Terry's energy and funniness. And, you know, so I mean they did hang for a while, but Ramsey had a bit of a bit of a mouth on him. And so sometimes Terry, who tended to be more on the respectful side, you know, that's just the way he was raised. He didn't always feel comfortable with the way Jim would sometimes get a little too loose with stuff. Um, we went and visited them when him and his wife had their first baby, got their first new house, you know, just being, you know, friendly and everything. But as far as him being like his partner, his full-time buddy, the person that, you know, he would confide things in, no, not. 
Um, and they had a they had a point in time where they were no longer talking, and it was directly due to some things that you know Jim was young too. Okay, I'm just going to leave it at that. The things we say, you know, 25 to 30 ish, you know, are not the things we say as we get older. So, you know, I don't want to go too hard on him, but he he was a party to it. Um, he was clearly uh, buzzing around the family for a long time, um, asking questions constantly about me. He went to other people he did not know that were at the funeral who they knew loved Terry and would have concern for me, especially with what was going on. They are the ones that called me and said, what's going on with this Jim Ramsey guy? He's very obsessed. He's asking a lot of questions. He wants us to reach out to you, blah, blah, blah. And so I thought that was a little weird. And then, of course, when the People magazine article came out, that just cinched it. That that was <laughs> that was that was it for me. So um, and then there was another interview. I, I can't remember. It's one of those. I want to say it was Dateline or something like that one of those kind of uh, shows. I haven't bothered to look it up because the first time I saw it, I was really glad I didn't know where he was. <laughs> he he would have got a piece for sure of uh, some thoughts and, and well pent up anger. Um, but anyway, it was really hard to watch the, uh, the interview because, you know, I, I'm sure he's gone through it. I, I, I do have sympathy for those who weren't able to speak for whatever their reason is. And that goes to investment. I'm supposed to have an investment in him. I'm supposed to be that one person that holds on. And if for good reason though. Um, so I don't, I try not to judge him too badly. And I just, I don't want to go really hard on him, but he was a part of it. And he, he was a part of, you know, spreading the rumor campaign to which he knew was not true, or at least he should have known was not true. It's kind of like the difference between listening to Vassar say, yeah, him and they were good. <laughs> a real friend would have known that. So that's all I'll say. Uh, yeah. Uh, and I guess this, I feel like this moves into the harassment. I know we're trying not to retread old territory in this one, but I feel like for the purposes of this question to illustrate kind of the, the extent of the harassment, I think it would be good to start even before Terry died because you were experiencing, you and Terry both were experiencing harassment prior uh, and then, you know, after you and the family did, and then I, I believe, unless I'm remembering incorrectly, you have also experienced more harassment since, you know, you've actually, you've been more in the public eye. Uh, so essentially more harassment that hasn't been documented, whether it be like in a format like this or, or written mm -hmm. or whatever. So I, I know that's a lot. <laughs> that's probably like a good 10 to 20 minute question there. But mm -hmm. I, I think it's, it's because for me, this is probably one... I mean, don't get me wrong, killing someone's awful, but something, I guess for me as a man, I just found that particularly disgusting, like the idea that someone would kill me and then like, and then on top, and then on top of that, harass my family after my death. Uh, so it's kind of like peeing on your grave almost kind of. So, yes. yeah. So, uh, but yeah, go ahead. Well, they did a lot of the urination war on his grave um, in every way possible. And we can get into that later when we get into the estate issues. Um, but um, the entire year, um, in fact, this would be a good time for me to clarify a secondary thing I wanted to, I, I noticed that a lot of the uh, articles that have been put out since the CNN article, lots of, you know, YouTubes and such, um, they seem to be under the impression that our relationship worsened after the bombing. And it was actually the contrary. It actually improved. 
It was, we had whatever problems we had were prior to the bombing. And after the bombing occurred, it was kind of his come to Jesus moment. I mean, he was a young man. He was not perfect. Um, he did a lot of things fantastic that I cannot say and have appreciation for him as a woman. There were other things that he failed ethically. Okay, we'll just leave it at that. Um, but after the bombing, it was like it meant something more to him. The understanding of here's where I screwed up. This is what I can do to make it right. And he knew me pretty well. I'm pretty easy to deal with as long as you shoot me straight and you be fair. He knew that was the one thing that I needed to be okay. And that's what he gave me. That's why it started improving despite previous mess ups. Um, but anyway, I just wanted to get that straight so that it actually he was he was working on himself. And I don't know how deeply we want to get into the relationship stuff. I'm willing, but I would like to keep most of it focused to the CNN article for now, um, because I think that's what's most relevant. I am not the the center of interest. I don't think I'm the center of this universe. I think there's a higher information, you know, people that want to know about the uh, the relationship issues. I'm more than happy to expound, but maybe another time. Um, but anyway, so um, the entire year, I mean, it was I picked him up. He was at my house. Um, I was at work like the second and third day. Cause I told you I worked in the employee assistance program and we were actually seeing some people that had been in the building. I remember a gentleman from the journal record coming in. There were, you know, we kind of were the catch all for some agencies that didn't have an EAP. So I needed to go back to work. And he was at the house resting with, um, I had a babysitter that came in and took care of the girls. So he had someone to help take care of him too, for a day or two a day or two. I stayed the first day with them. But um, anyway, so I got that call from Terry about needing to, that we I needed to plan for us to go down to the, the, the bombing site later that night. I didn't ask him a lot of questions because I'd already been with him for, you know, that last 24 hours. I knew he was in a kind of a weird way. Um, you know, the report he was writing, <laughs> I, I can verify for you. I was there when he was writing the report, but when I, you know, and I was just trying to be a sweet wife and, you know, compassionate towards him. And he was really adamant. No, you can't read this too. There's sometimes he'd let me read things. I didn't think much of it. I just thought, you know, really sensitive subject. I was like, okay, you know, just, and he said, I'm going to be here for a while. And so I just left him alone to write it, got him dinner, just kind of cater to him, but didn't press him. I just didn't feel the need at that time. There wasn't one, um, but it was a huge report. And my understanding, Ramona validated some of that for me. She said, it was nine pages, Tanya. <laughs> I said, that's what I saw. I saw about at least six to eight pages from just eyeballing it. She's like, no, it was nine. Okay. I said, that's, that's plausible. That's what I saw. Um, anyhow, but as soon as we... Um, after we came back from the site, and uh, we can get into those details later, that's when it really started up. After we had been down there, and he was told that he was not allowed down there, it was obvious they, that the person knew him. It's like he was—he had skull and crossbones. You are not to be here. You're not allowed on site. Um, and it was not even two days later that he got up and left in a panic. And that was the 23rd which was the day that the Clinton motorcade came in for that ceremony. 
and he did not come back except for incidental. He And he really was not ready to be by himself. He could barely walk. That's the only reason I think he involved me with going down to the site with him is because he could not physically keep himself up. I had to help him. So, um, but anyway, from there is where it started. Um, lots of weird incidences around the house. Um, you know, just lots of weird things that he was saying. But in the meantime of that, I do have some of my police reports that follow later into the year. I mean, I, I just suffice to say that he was constantly telling me that things like every time I talk to you, they know what I'm talking to you about. And I'm like, who? He's like police chief. He'd been pulled in several times and we'll get to that. It, that's more in depth conversation, but that was, you asked me about harassment. They were interfering with him, like his relationships with people. And so that's why he was being so isolated. He was distancing himself from people more and more and more, not because he was, you know, not wanting to be around us, but like he was being threatened and reprimanded and or threatened with reprimand, things like that. So um, later in the year and just like months before he died, I do have, I, I know you heard me say that I had nails in my tires. Every time I turned around, there'd be like, not one, like I went through construction, four or five, <laughs> where you'd have to replace like three to four. I had elephant's graveyard in the back of my yard. <laughs> and um, at one point in time, I, I even accused Terry of doing it. And he looked at me like, it's like, T, I could do a lot of things to be a manipulative jerk. He said, but I buy you expensive tires. I drove an Explorer. He said, those are expensive tires. I'm picky and I hate to change tires. I could do something better. And so, you know, it was like, okay, well, who's doing this? And, you know, obviously he couldn't answer, but I actually had the police reports that show, I don't know if you can see this. The dates are in this area. Hold on. Where it says January through March. Can you see it in the corner? Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, we, we also, you can pass can this on to Chris later. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so I can send that. it to you, but it talks about how my tires had been flattened multiple times, you know, and this continued to happen. That was just before I moved out of the house suddenly because so many weird things were happening that I didn't feel safe in my home. And this was just literally six weeks before his death. I upped and moved out of the house. I told no one I was moving. He was not upset when he found out. He, it's almost like he was beginning to wonder how much I was catching on. And so he let that lie. He's like, don't worry about T. I'll take care of that. Don't, don't worry. I was like, I don't feel safe here. I don't know what's going on. Um, and then after, and so I moved into an apartment, one of those ridiculous three stories up. <laughs> you know, we had a million flights of stairs that nobody wants to take you up. And the apartment was twice the amount of my house payment. I mean, literally the kind of move you make when you feel really uncomfortable, but it wasn't because of him. He wasn't the one harassing me. And he was, like I said, he was very understanding and like, you know, well, hopefully we'll get it all settled and we'll figure it out, but no, I'm not upset. Just that's fine. So he seemed like he was comforted when I moved. Um, and I had no intention to ever move out of that house. It was our first little starter home. And, um, Anyway, but after his death, 
that kind of stuff continued all the way to when I had actually left the city area and tried to be close to the family. Um, and I say family, I say his sister, Vicki, um, you know, she had moved to Enid. And so I went ahead and I moved out there to be close to everybody. And I had rented a place, um, <laughs> I came home one day and the door was off the hinges. And that was when the balloon story, it was, and I don't know where it's got mis, misconstrued. I've seen some places that get it wrong, but actually it was a white balloon that, you know, which it said, I heard you were sick. And then you turn it over. This will keep you, this will keep you better till you get well. And it was perfectly pinned up. My drawers were gone through <laughs> and thrown all, you know, like my personal intimates, things like that, thrown everywhere. Um, just things in the house, you know, kind of disheveled where just enough for you to know. But if you said, hey, come over here. The only thing that gave it away was the door was off the hinges and set up on the porch. So if that's not a strong message, I don't know what is. Um, <laughs> and it was not too long after that, that I met Ramona. I met Ted Gunderson. Um, you know, they convinced me to stay close to people as much as possible. And so that's, that was kind of that, but it just, you know, and that was the, the, the early parts of it. Now, as we had different point in times where, you know, this stuff would resurface, you know, people would have interest and they would kind of send me the message of, um, you know, we're always listening. I actually, I forgot about this till just now, but when I worked at the EAP, there were voice recordings that were left on my work, my work message that were, was me talking to someone else in broad daylight in public grocery store, this place, that place, my kids daycare. And you got to remember technology was not the same back then, you know? So, you know, and it was, and it was my boss that found him and he was a little perplexed. Um, so that's part of what prompted when I tell you about there were other people that did investigations for me, there were some people, I mean, I worked in a state agency. I knew a lot of people, you know, and I had a good reputation. People liked me. And of course they wanted to help me through what I was going through. Every time somebody of influence would try to help me, you know, they want, and I remember one in particular saying, you know, so I really wanted to calm you down and get you over your paranoia so you can move on in your life. You're not paranoid enough. You are not paranoid enough. And you just need, you need to let it go because this is not, this is not a situation that you're going to make it out of if you don't stop. That was the feedback. And it happened with multiple different resources. So, um, Anyway, I hope I'm staying on target to what you're okay. wanting. Oh, There's you're something good. You're good. that you remember. Feel free to ask me because, you know, it's it's a very emotional thing for me. And I'm pretty good about remembering details, but you might have to corral me every now and then to you know, prompt, prompt me what you need from me. So, uh, well, so yeah, I'm just speaking broad strokes of harassment. I know it continued even and I know obviously it lessened as time goes on, but. Uh, if I recall correctly, because we've talked on the phone a few times and I don't have perfect memory, but I do recall you did ex express that you did still even, you know, maybe to, to more modern times, you know, after your, your time in the public light, 
uh, you have experienced a little, you've it's still experienced some of this harassment, uh, yeah. which I, I, this will tie into the state thing, which we'll talk about. I think that's what we'll talk about next. Uh, yeah. But, you know, I, I just kind of wanted to get a broad stroke for everybody so they could see the harassment. This also explains why I've been pro uh, practicing such operational security with this, uh, uh, this, <laughs> this thing, uh, and still am now. Uh, this will stay uh, behind the paywall until the, the article is released. So once again, yeah. patrons, keep your mouth closed. Uh, but, uh, so, I mean, I don't know if you, if you have anything more, uh, harassment wise, you know, it's particularly more modern day that hasn't been documented, uh, that, that would be good. Just kind of get an idea of what you're still sort of dealing with occasionally. Obviously I know it's probably not to the same extent that it was during that uh, period immediately after Terry's death. But I do, yeah. So what? Now. Yeah. But that's because they assumed that, well, because some things came out, let's see in 2011, well, actually, it was 2010. Um, there was a lot of confusion that happened um, when um, I think it was Chris Emery's group and the We Are Change group entered into the scene and was doing their um, noble lie. Um, and part of that was because things that had occurred with the family, with his sister and his mom. Um, I, I try, even if the details are not pleasant. I try to stay with the, the truth of any situation and where we were not seeing eye to eye was, you know, I didn't want to be involved with anything that painted him falsely. He wouldn't want that. Um, I, cause I really feel like, you know, it, actually the way he turned out is, is something I treasure. I really appreciate out of him. And so we're, we're a sum total of our good and bad. And I'd rather him be presented honestly than you know what people want the story to be um so we were not seeing eye to eye and there were a lot of details of what happened that two years when i kept engaging and i was getting the harassment and they disengaged and so we could not meet in the middle at all and i had felt that we needed more answers my children were getting older um they were completely left out of everything. And I, you know, I, I have a responsibility as a mom. So when we did not see eye to eye and I didn't see any other way, I actually went downtown to pull the estate because I wanted her to understand that it was not her call anymore. That fell to me and the successor right to the girls. And that's when I found the estate was still open and languishing for 15 years. It was a shock to me. Um, so I actually, because <laughs> no attorney, I've, I've gone to many attorneys. Um, I think I've even sent you the original one where they told me that Terry took me and the girls off all his stuff, everything at the police department, his children too. Um, I have that letter still. <laughs> so, um, but anyway, so um, I entered into the estate on my own, per se, and did successfully get the estate from the family. And so I was just being systematic. You know, I've, I've got enough background uh, in the things that I've done in, in my work life that I understood certain facets. So as soon as I left the, um, the court, I went and picked up his workers comp, uh, comp information from the workers comp court. I went straight out to the attorney and asked for his file I, you know, I just made the rounds before anybody realized what I was doing. And boy, <laughs> the roof caved in. Life 
disintegrated as we know it. Um, husband, second husband walked out on me immediately and has been, he works for the state. <laughs> and so I can only imagine what's been said to him, what he would lose. Um, so he walked out on us in, in, immediately, <laughs> immediately. And so, um, and it just, man, the firestorm just came at me because, and I didn't realize at the time why I just, I mean, I knew what I did was controversial, but my, I, I wasn't looking for assets and things like that. I was looking for right of publicity, control of the narrative for the girl's behalf. That was it. I expected that everything was gone. I mean, it had been 15 years. Okay. So there was a lot of shockers out of that. And I, do you have a question? <laughs> you look like you I had a question there. I don't. I don't know if Chris. Oh, I thought he did. Um, but anyway, um, so, you know, I ended up going through a lot of turmoil instantly. And that's, it's kind of like, you know, we create fires. I feel like the, the, the second husband was kind of, kind of bullied into that, <laughs> that scenario, even if he wasn't, he left and caused me a lot of grief from then on, which we're okay. Now we've, we've survived it, but, um, there seemed to be a concerted effort to telling me that we don't care if you have the estate. I, I did find assets and they said, we don't care. We're not going to, we're not going to acknowledge you. You can't have anything. I don't care if the judge gave you the right, you get nothing. Um, and so that was, that was a real frustrating thing um, because you want to believe in our system, having a set of rules that you can understand you can work within, you can ask for certain things and get some progress. And it was a complete shutdown a second time. So it was, that was a little bit hard to take, but that's when the harassment started again. So that's another whole chapter, have gone through it. So fast forward to 2017, um, I want you to remember that Terry was on the police force starting in 1989. Okay. Sounds right. Yeah. And so at the 20-year mark, I expected some things to kind of fall out the sky because I knew they had not done things right from what I had already found. Well, lo and behold, in 2017, there was a one of those um, – lost, what do you call those, those state treasury, lost items, you know, where, you know, people. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward with each new idea, innovation, and partnership. We're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, Visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. I don't know they have stuff. And out came something in the name of Terry and Tanya Yankee. So <laughs> I went after that. And then, of course, the roof started caving in again. Um, they did everything from come up with dummy accounts to, you know, file garnishments against my check that I accounts I've never had. Um, just crazy stuff. Um, put a lot of financial pressure on me, a lot of, you know, and, and just a lot of weird things were happening again like that. Not as, not as hardcore 
as back in 1996 to 1998, but enough that it lets me know you guys are still hanging around and I'm messing with your stuff <laughs> and you don't like it. Um, but, you know, I went through, I went through the state treasures. I went through, actually, I, I tracked down where the assets were and even just took them to the mat with the Better Business Bureau just to make them answer, which they did. <laughs> and it's pretty hilarious. Um, but these were assets that were both in mine and Terry's name. The most interesting part of that was, of course, and I had the check. I actually had it framed, but I pulled it out just for you guys, mm -hmm. of this little bitty asset that was sitting in there that they finally sent me. But the most interesting thing that made everybody flip their wig is showing that there was a change on five, not, I'm sorry, I can never get it, but it shows five, one of 1996, which was the same week that Terry was, I said, Terry was coming to me asking me to get remarried because that was the only way he could protect me and the girls. Well, this asset shows that a change was made on five, one 1996. That's interesting. That's the week before he died. So, um, you know, that's, that's kind of the recent stuff. I mean, I finally got so frustrated with them. I had a very kind of crass conversation for me <laughs> where it was like, you guys are the worst villains ever. You know, I should not be able to find any of this garbage. You know what I'm saying? I should not need to know any of this. Okay. And, you know, there's, there's a set of rules to, to handle this. You know, I just basically, I was like, I'm done. <laughs> You know, there's there's nowhere more for me to go with this and there's no one who's going to help me with it. But, you know, but that's how I ended up coming upon the rest of the records that told me the story of some of the harassment he was probably receiving. Um, there's lots in his workers comp, by the way, he never it's he they never paid the family for the workers comp. He had two injuries, which was the bombing injury as well as a previous injury. None were paid on. That's, <laughs> there's no excuse for that. Um, it, it looks very much like these are the things you would do to their surviving family to bend them and make them more pliable. And I've just kind of taken one on the chin, left and right, whatever has to be done. You want to keep them? Okay, fine, whatever. But I have at least gone through the process of asking the questions and trying to understand as much as I can. And I'm completely satisfied that my husband had his the best interest for me and his children. I know he did his very best to make sure that we were taken care of, but there's something, there's something wrong with their story because if it was a simple suicide, why the rest of this game? These are basic rules that you follow, clean things up. Nothing should be languishing almost 26 years later. Mm -hmm. So that's that's kind of my take on it. It's like, you know, you can no longer, I mean, even when CNN is coming to ask the question, it's because, not because they care what Tanya says, not because they care what Don Browning says or uh, Ramona McDonald may have said, or even Stephen Vassar. They're coming to ask because the story's not aging well. The facts are not aging well. And you and I talked about this I feel like it's just a simple murder case. In this case, Terry happens to be victim and accused. And when you do not have the evidence beyond a reasonable doubt, and there's tons of reasonable doubt here, without all this extra garbage that's like, what? 
there's tons of reasonable doubt, Terry's entitled to have his death certificate changed. They don't have the goods. They don't have the evidence. And everything else points to, you know, something's wrong with the story. This is not what happens in a simple suicide. All right. Uh, um, uh, Chris, you, you had a question earlier. It sounds like you have one now, too. So go ahead. Well, so I, you mentioned your second husband. Um, he was a state employee. To what, what extent, if, if you're comfortable mentioning it? Oh, no, he's on his own. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you get what you give. Um, yeah. anyhow, um, he is um, pretty high-ranking IT at the state. Okay. And okay. Yeah, but he could have retired at the time. He absolutely um, was eligible for retirement, did not retire, yeah. left his flat, and then attacked me and attacked the girls. So I had quite a battle. Um You know, but that's that's in the rearview mirror. But it was pretty bad. It, but I ended up with full custody of my children, and I deal with this salty situation too sometimes. But he hasn't been in the picture for a long time. But he just he just left, literally left six weeks after I got into the estate. Um, in your opinion, do you think the fact that he was some kind of state government employee maybe that played into some of the uh, harassment coming back i did yeah it it stands to reason that yeah it would have okay yeah what was that? all right uh oh sorry uh it's, i <laughs> didn't realize i had mute i had unmute um, i just feel lost well i'm like i'm tired asking a question <laughs> i don't know where you go <laughs> Uh, the all right there the crime scene I think maybe we may have briefly uh, mentioned before and the fact that you and Terry went down there a few days later mm -hmm. uh, you brought up some points that there was some interesting uh, there was something to be said about the timing of that and uh, w in in relation to like the jurisdiction of you know who had what oh, yeah um, so I, you can go ahead <laughs> sure so now bear in mind of course. Time frames are important because technology has changed so much since that time. But at that time, you know, if this was probably the best thing that I did as far as that 1997 interview, because I got on record things that I could not have otherwise known. We didn't have the internet. I couldn't look up anything. I could not know those details unless he told me and, or I was present. And so a lot of those were just him sharing with his spouse needing, you know, telling me as much as he could without telling me anything. And that was, that was hard. But when we were, you know, he was very specific, which was noted in the interview that he wanted to see what was under the pillars of the daycare. And I know that there's some controversy with what was behind those daycare walls. Um, and that's another whole conspiracy land that is, is tough to deal with, but um, that was where he was aiming to go. Um, I mentioned to you that it was Will Rogers division. One of the reasons I think now, because I've been able to find information and documents, which includes police's own, you know, after action reports, that it was in fact Will Rogers that was in fact that was in um, control of the first command post that actually issued the um, passes to get on and off the site. So there was good reason for Terry to believe that he could get on that site. I, I understand it now. It changed at midnight 
every night, the color passes. And so I'm thinking that he probably thought he had a color pass that he could get through. And it turned out that because of his raising Kane with Luke Franny, and from what I understood from what Ramona talked about, it was pretty bad. I mean, if Terry, if Terry did decide to bellow, which was not his nature, he he actually tried very hard to be less intimidating because you can't get anybody to comply with you if you're always intimidating them. You're only going to get so far. So his strategy was quite the opposite. So for Terry to get that aggressive in his feelings, it was because they were not letting them save people. That that was his beef. But, um, you know, he, he had good reason to believe. And so it changed entirely by Sunday, the 23rd, when the Clinton motorcade came in. That's when it, it shifted to a command post that was out of their jurisdiction, out of their control. They gave up all control to the feds. And so there, to me, that timeline jives with him asking me to get up and take him down there, why it was such a rush, why it couldn't wait, you know. And then, of course, we all know that the building came down pretty quickly. So there was a there was an urgency in him. And it makes more sense. But that report wasn't available online until 2010 that I know of. <laughs> so but I had referred to it in 1997. So is that what the question was you were asking me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, okay. Now, I'd like to move on to the details of the, I guess, the VPO violation, uh, because I know that's a big key point uh, when it came to, because that kind of became the semi-official narrative, uh, sort of, although like it's the kind of play out of both sides of their mouth where they never really had an official narrative, but they did. Clearly, mm -hmm. it, w it was sort of unofficial. But when it, the you know one of the big things that came out of the recent CNN article was that Vassar said he saw a report that basically you know matched up to what you essentially were kind of saying before in your interview what you suspected that they uh, let him know that you know you had rep uh, reported him for violating the VPO which is essentially like a restraining order that you guys had had put in, in effect like almost a year and a half prior, a yeah. little bit less than that. Yeah. Um, you know, um, neither of you clearly were respecting it, which I mean, whatever, I'm not, I'm not <laughs> one to get hung up on laws. So. No, okay. And let me, let me say this. <laughs> the day that I picked him up at the, uh, at the hospital, um, at, this is one of the few times where Tanya took control and told Terry what to do. Okay. He's in the back of my Explorer. He's laid out. He can't even stand. And he's like, I can't stay over there with you and blah, blah. I was like, I drove straight to Will Rogers. And it was, that was the first time I had an interaction with Major Upchurch. And he came out and, uh, I, well, I walked into the department and they're kind of looking at me like, oh crap, what are you doing here? And um, I said, I, I need a supervisor because I would like to talk to him for just a minute. And um, it was Major Upchurch that came out. I said, Terry's in the back of my car right now. I said, apparently none of you thought enough of him to make sure he was okay. I will do that. I said, and he's going to be at my house, and I don't want to hear a word about it. I don't want to hear one word. It's going to be fine. He'll, that's where he is. I'm just letting you know. And I don't want to hear a word about anything. That's where he'll be. And so he walked out to the car. Terry was in the back of the car and um, it was tense. 
definitely there was something going on. Just at that moment, I didn't care. I, you know, it was one, I'm usually a pretty respectful person, but in that case, I was perfectly willing to tell both those grown men what was going to happen. That's, that's where he'll be. Okay. And so, but after that, it started, that's when uh, Joanne Randall had start, had called my house a couple of times and she got the same what for as well. Yeah. Very respectfully, but still you might run Will Rogers Tony Yankee runs what goes on at 3825. He'll call you when he's awake. He slept 18 hours the first day. Um, I don't know if he may have seized out or anything because if he was really stressed and the blood sugar went low and he was under that kind of, I mean, he could have a seizure. And so I suspect he might have at that time because um, he just slept and slept. I mean, it's possible, but I'd never seen him sleep that much. And I just, you know, anybody that called, they were told under no uncertain terms, they would be contacted when he was able to. Mm -hmm. um, so um, I'm sorry, I might've got off base. So oh, bring oh, me back if you need me. No, yeah, no, I was trying to get to the, the cause once again, the, uh, the semi-official, oh, no. yeah, yeah okay. that they, they, you, you reported him for violating it. That's the claim. You right. deny that you reported him. Um, and they, obviously now they deny that that report ever even existed. I have it. Or, okay. I have, oh, it. Okay. <laughs> I have that report. It's all redacted, but I have it. Tanya's very systematic. Boom, 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 boom. Don't lie to me. Cause, uh, you know, I'm just trying to get the story straight and be fair to everybody. I'm just trying to figure out what's going on. So I do have that report as well. It does exist. And it's because I had just had that conversation with him, um, where he, I mean, when somebody tells you that they're going to die, but not by their own hand, okay? Somebody tells you something's going to happen to them. I need you. I mean, imagine this conversation. Um, I need you to leave in the middle of the night, take the girls over to your mom's house. I'm not leaving the girls. <laughs> and we've got to get remarried. He wanted me to go to Texas and get remarried, okay? So no one here would know. That was the conversation. I'm like, what are you talking about? I mean, we had been talking, but because of, you know, so many things in between during that time, it was like we were on good terms, but not ready for that. OK. And um, I, I was just baffled. I was upset. I tried for he stayed most of the night just trying to get me to agree to this, but not tell me anything. And, you know, I'd always been so good about if you tell me something. I don't press you for a lot of questions because I know you don't just throw me a bunch of garbage. You're not that guy, but I need some answers this time. You can't just ask me to up and do that kind of thing. And when he showed up where I was and the interaction happened with the VCR, I panicked. I was terrified for him. I'm like, what is going down and who are you supposed to go to? So I, I drove to the police department. I went over there. I was like, you know, I, I did not tell them that I thought he was going to kill himself. At no time did I say that. At no time did I invoke an, an F, a VPO. They tried to tell me, well, the only way you could, it sounds like he needs you to help him. And the only way you could do that is if we can actually pick him up. And I'm like, so you're telling me you want me to use an old VPO that should have been dismissed after the divorce anyway. And you want me to invoke that because you can't help me in this situation. Forget it. <laughs> that was the conversation. Well, that turned into something totally different. It was just, it was, 
I made a tactical mistake. I didn't know I was making a mistake. It was, mm-hmm. I had no idea. I had had nobody else to go to, quite honestly. But it had nothing to do with charging him with a VPO. That was, it was so mute. I mean, we had, he had just spent um, Easter hiding Easter eggs for the girls up in the apartment. We had been seen out. Other people knew that we were talking, you know, but we weren't like that again yet. We were, and the thing about it, that's not odd for me and Terry. We started out as friends. We had a very strong friend component. There was a very strong trust component because I'm not a very complex person. I think complex, obviously, from some things you've seen me whip out, but I don't love in a complex way. Shoot me a fair deal. I'll work with you. You want to be out? That's fine. Go. I'm okay with that. I'm not that. I don't have the drama gene. I'm not going to come run after you and some girl you're dating or do something like that. I just do your thing. Okay. But just be fair to me. Be fair to your children. Be a good dad. If you can do those things, we're good. So we always had the friend component, even when things went wrong. So um, it's not a weird situation for me and him. That's historically who we were good friends first. So um, that's, but I have that report. Um, I'm glad to share it with you. I'll be glad to send it to you. So it does exist. Ambassador's not crazy. So. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Okay. Uh, I'm trying to think if there's anything specifically on the VPO. Um, All right. I have a question uh, that a friend of mine that follows this case wanted me to ask you. Uh, He's curious if you've ever tried to request any files from the FBI or the CIA, uh, because it's a little known fact for for people who, uh, when it comes to Oklahoma City bombing, there is a CIA uh, component. But um, have you ever asked them um, uh, for any any records of yourself, uh, mostly to verify to see if you're being monitored or anything else? Obviously, we know you were, but maybe at a higher level. Uh, because I guess uh, he seems, my friend seems to be under the impression, I guess there's a higher impetus when it comes to records on yourself and requesting them, they're more likely to give them to you. So I just was curious if you've ever tried to go down that route. No, when you can't compel a state agency to cough up the records that they're keeping that are in your own name, <laughs> publicly identified as yours, that's yeah. kind of you know where you go from there. Obviously, you don't have a leg to stand on. I, I have control of the estate. I have control of all those things. And yet they've told me we're just not going to recognize you. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Well, all right. Um, with Terry, uh, you know, obviously I, I find t- uh, Terry to be a unique case, but in a certain sense, it's really not that unique in the scope of the Oklahoma City bombing. There were a bunch of other suspicious deaths, Shanti Ferens, uh, Kenneth Trenadu, uh, one of the, was it, I can't remember. There's another, uh, Don Chumley. Uh, there, there were other individuals. Um, so I, the, I, I know you've been following this closely as well. Um, what, what are your thoughts generally speaking on all these suspicious deaths and are there other suspicious deaths you'd like to bring to light, uh, particularly even amongst like first responders, because, uh, there, I know there were other ones who ran into issues there as well. Well, I mean, it's it's very similar to like what I said about doing the interview in 1997. There were things obviously I could not have known because I wouldn't have had access to them at that day and time. But there was another person that Terry mentioned to me, um, and it was in April just before his death. It was during the time frame when he was um, interviewing supposedly with the FBI in Texas. Um, he had come to the house. He'd mentioned, you know, 
and once again, the friend component, um, he said, Hey T I've got a, I've got a big meeting. I need to buy a nice suit. I need to, you know, be in the best place I've ever been. Can you handle it? If you know, I pay you the child support for the girls in two weeks. Yeah. He knew how it operated. He knows Tanya's version of broke is, is not broke. <laughs> Tanya always keeps a spare, you know, for emergencies usually. And so I was like, yeah, I was really proud of him. We'd been talking a lot during that time. And of course, yeah. And um, he had mentioned something about, you know, he really needed to move on out of the department. And he mentioned another officer that, and he alluded to this in the first couple of days that he was, when he was at my house, why he could not stay at the hospital and why he could not stay with me because they were trying to say he wasn't injured. Well, he mentioned an officer who also had been injured and was about to go to jail. And that was Ken Griffin. Ken Griffin was also a first responder. And if you look up, I didn't start, I, I, and that's the only reason I ever thought to look him back up is because he said that name specifically to me at that time. And when he said, you know, they got another, I, I asked him about, you know, well, what about your injuries and what about this and blah, blah, blah. And he said, no, he's like, there's another officer about to go to jail for that. You know, they, he was just trying to take care of his family. They were, you know, reneging on his workers comp, his reports not paying him. And so he got caught eventually is what it was supposedly taking from the Catholic charities. Mm -hmm. um, anyway, but he did go to jail. And then many years later, you know, I don't know why it is everybody needs to have a terrible story, but, you know, it was like a murder for hire plot where the FBI just comes and picks up his wife and says, you're in danger. They take him to jail. He's found like Kenneth Trinity or like, is it Kenneth Trinity? It's what's his yeah. brother's. Is yeah, that the Kenneth is the one that's deceased. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, he was hung. He hung himself in his jail supposedly, but his last conversation to his wife is it's a lie. I didn't do this. I haven't tried to do something to you. So that one, I, I have no, I have no knowledge. I'm not trying to pretend or start another one. Mm -hmm. I'm just telling you his name came out of Terry's mouth in April of 1996. Mm -hmm. So that that's, I started paying more attention once I started getting hammered <laughs> again. And it was like Jumanji had op reopened at my house and my life was just a, a three ring circus again that I started paying attention to everything, everything that I knew. And I've kept tabs on those kind of things. And I've just noticed a pattern like Don Chumley, uh, Terry went to him as a patient in 1992 and 1993. They did in fact know each other. And so the things that came out about Don Chumley and Terry that I've been told, it's not that far fetched. I don't know it to be true, but they definitely knew each other. That's the only thing that I can say. Um, Ken was, uh, Terry wasn't particularly fond of Ken, um, but he mentioned him. He mentioned him by name. He's going to go to jail. That's why I never filed the work. That's why I never got involved with that. And I kept going to work, even though I was injured. And that was the end of that conversation. Um, trying to think who else. Did we want to go anywhere else with that? I 
yeah, I mean, if you want to go into other individuals, I know there are others. Uh, uh, keep in mind for everyone out there, we're not saying, you know, I mentioned Sean T. Farron's, and I'll admit that case from my understanding of it. It's mm-hmm. not like a slam dunk. It just is another individual. She was someone who picked out uh, McVeigh and Strassmeyer and I believe Michael Brescia out of a lineup, which really screwed them over. And then, you know, Tadashi dies shortly later. But she also was a stripper, and it was an OD. So... I right. don't know. It kind of seems to match up. But also, on the flip side, uh, feds are known to take people, uh, for example, with Terry, with the uh, domestic violence. They, they, they played that up with mm-hmm. a stripper. It's, you know, obviously, you know, they're living a fast life. Uh, it's, you know, if you were going to try to do something, that might be the way to go about it. Hold them down and give them, a, give them enough of a dose that do, does the trick. I'm not saying that's what happened. I'm just saying there's a pattern here, and there's a bunch of people and a lot of weird stuff, and this is common amongst these large things. Anyone who pays attention to JFK knows there were a ton of witnesses who just started dropping like flies. And now th- does that mean all of them were killed by feds or some uh, ne- bad actors out there or whatever? No, some of them could have just genuinely died of natural causes. Right. And uh, the same thing goes for here. Ken could have hung himself uh, you know, or, or Griffin and then... For all I mean, Ken, all right, Kenneth trying to do is a little bit ridiculous. I don't think I can even say that maybe happened, but, yeah. <laughs> but he definitely know, got but it's murdered. Kind of interesting. <laughs> I mean, that everybody's like got these terrible stories that pop up. All the people that were down there in the same vicinity where Terry was, um, if they were injured, and and in looking at his workers' compensation file, which was never paid, none of the. I mean, the family should have been paid on his injuries. They were not. Okay, um, and especially when they go to sheetman. You know, there's an old concept with a sheetman that, you know, you're not eligible. You know, things will go that way if, one, you're accused of killing the person that, you know, you would be benefiting from. At one point in time, and I have actually found it in the records where there was a suggestion that they needed to take guardianship of my girls because perhaps I was going to be brought in which kind of makes it a little awkward for me to stroll into the chief of police office on May 10th. If I'm guilty of something, I went straight in, which was very common. That's my, that's my operating way. Um, but anyway, but yeah, Ken Griffin was the one, the other one that has really bothered me for a long time is because it also came from Ramona and it also comes, there's question from one of the, um, victims, well, not victims, I should say survivors, that Terry helped save. And that is the case of Michael Loudenslager. Um, that one has always bothered me because um, Ramona was adamant that Terry, that the person I was referring to that was arguing with the ATF and Luke Franey, she claimed it was Michael Loudenslager. And Michael Loudenslager was found dead in the building after Terry left. I never heard this specifically from Terry's mouth, but I did hear it from Ramona's. And over time, <laughs> I think Michael was found just a couple days later, but it was after, after Terry left. That's when everything supposedly went really crazy. Um, mm-hmm. Ramona swears that her child was in the daycare up until the few weeks before it because Michael Loudenslager had filed some kind of a grievance because they were bringing munitions in the building, according to him. And the daycare operator also brought this up and she lost her license because they were 
trying to hold them accountable. Apparently they had some kind of bunker as the story goes, or some kind of closet in their office. And they were bringing things that they knew would freak parents out. It's right by the daycare. So Michael had actually, as the story goes, had filed something on it. And he was not in the building at the time, but he came to the building is what I was told. And that he helped save Michael and then left him with Terry. Okay. But Michael was supposedly the person that Terry busted up the argument with and put Luke Franey in his place. I've been, I've been a little concerned about saying that, but yeah. the, when the person that was saved says, I heard his voice and he is stuck to that story, they've tried to play him off as just delusional and out of it, but it came from Ramona as well, that that was part of the reason. And I could see if that is true, that would make Terry go off. That is something that would make him go and take risks. Michael was a guy worth going to bat for. He was worth sticking up for. And if that actually happened, then Terry would have been a bulldog. So I'm not, I'm not saying it is, I'm not saying it's not, but that has been repeated to me and it, it kind of rings true to me. I knowing him the way I do, he put, I don't think there's many things he put his life on the line and be taken from his children for. That would be one of them. Yeah. Uh, so for the, for the, oh, sorry, real quick, for the audience's purposes, for the loud and slonger, I never cover that in my series. I just want to spell it out. And I'll say I've not looked into it that much, but my understanding is that there, for one, there's variations of the narrative of loud and slogger, And that's part of why I never really tacked it. Um, but my understanding is, like you've kind of pointed out, is the idea is he supposedly warned ahead of time uh, mm -hmm. people in the daycare to get their kids out some period of time prior. Obviously, it varies depending on who's telling it. Yeah. And then obviously some got out. And then a key point is that he was supposedly rescue helping in the rescue efforts mm -hmm. during the bombing. So therefore, not a bombing victim. And then later, you know, it seems to be like a day or so later was found. It kind of in the rubble. So it, that that's the, the, the thing. Now, I don't I don't know specifics. I've never really I've not dug tried to dug into it, dig into it deeply. But I know a lot of people in, in within the research community, uh, I think. I, and I don't know. Like I said, there's so many variations. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if someone made some narrative claim that did have disprovable parts in it. And that's why a lot of researchers do kind of throw it out. But that doesn't mean that's what really happened. You know what I mean? Because there's so many different variations of every story. Even Yiki's, like we've even, or we've pointed out here, there's so many people who tell it different ways or have different parts wrong because they heard it from this person or that person. And things get mixed up. So I don't know. There might be truth to the Loudon Slogger of some sort, but it might not be the truth of whatever narrative some researcher heard at one point and disproved. So, I, I, you know, whether right. it be... But I, I heard yeah. that from Ramona herself and um, her child, Sarah, was in that daycare and she removed her about three weeks prior. So Ramona was very, very adamant about Michael, that he was the reason her child was alive and many other children. There were only 19 in the daycare that day. There were a whole lot more children supposedly enrolled in that daycare. So that's all, like I said, that came from Ramona. But the thing that shakes me a little is that that is what Randy Ledger had to say, mm. that he heard him tell him, we got you, buddy. We got you. Hold on. And it was Terry that dug him out with another EMT. Um, 
don't know. I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to solve big cases. I carry water for my family, my husband. That's what I'm doing. That's the reason why I have stayed in it, even behind the scenes, you know, because this is about, you know, telling his story and keeping, keeping things straight and also taking care of the people that I care about. I mean, each time this comes up, and, and I made this point talking to you that if they had just, just have done their job, then my family wouldn't be dealing with year after year a conspiracy that is, you know, it's it's life shattering. It's it's not it's not something anybody, you know, to be regulated to the, the realm of the conspiracy is the most undesirable place to be, you know? And so if they had done their job and it was a simple suicide, then my family would not have gone through this pain. We would have been able to, you know, people can survive a suicide. People can understand when people just decide that they can't do it anymore. What they have done to my family is inexcusable. They do not have the evidence. And so for me, I feel he's entitled. That that death certificate should be changed. They have not done their job and they've caused tremendous pain. All right, Chris, Chris, you uh, you had a question earlier. Uh, my internet cut out for a second. <laughs> uh, uh, <you're>, Sorry. <laughs> you're good. Uh, I've okay. I've asked all the questions I have, but uh, Chris, if you have any more, go to town. If not, that's fine. <laughs> um, I've, the answer is obviously yes. I don't know how it could be, but like how your kids have been affected by this. To what extent, because, uh, you know, you mentioned that um, they sound like they're about my age. I'm 31 right now. Yeah. Um, okay. So to what extent, I guess, how have they dealt with this? You know, I tried my best to um, give them some some good times in their childhood to try to be there. Um, but you cannot make up for the loss of a father. Um, Kenna remembers her dad very well, um, very larger than life. Uh, this is a guy, Kenna was just a squirrely little kid, funny as all get out into everything where Sheridan was, you know, she was a human koala bear that just, you know, held on to you all the time. And she was just two when he died. Um, but Kenna remembers him greatly. And, you know, everything someone out of my family does, we are scrutinized. I mean, you know, it's very easy, you know, when you want to, you want to play to the strength of somebody to say, Oh, look what you've overcome. And the minute they don't like you, it's like, look where you came from. And so we, we deal with that all the time. We should not have to deal with that. Um, and just, like I said, the loss of, you know, the, the, the dare kids loved him. Do you think his own child loved him any less? I mean, Terry could scoop Kenna up with one swoop when she was being squirrely and he was the calmest person in the world. He used to like throw her up on his back when she was acting unruly and she'd beat on his head and no, 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 no. And he just unfaced. He was a big teddy bear. They were, you know, mono evil mono. <laughs> they were very close. Okay. okay. And Sheridan, you know, she, she doesn't have the memories. It's just wrong. And so, you know, for them, I've tried to get to the bottom of it. But, you know, at times they felt like they lost a parent to a living one. And it's not fair to them. 
So, you know, but that's my job. Like I said, there's nobody else who's going to be as invested in him as I will. Sorry to get emotional. No, no, you're fine. But that's just the reality of it. When you do this to a family and you could have stopped that pain and given us what we needed to move on. But not only did you not, you also stripped us of the means and then harassed us. And I mean, and I was a young woman. I was younger than you. I'm 26. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm like wrapping my mind around this. I remember when I was 26, a couple years ago, yeah. and uh, everything that you've been saying the whole time, the fact that you were married to him and the stories coming out about, you know, you guys having some tumultuous relationship, blah, blah, blah. But then explaining. There was a year period, but there's a lot that goes to that as well. That, you know, yeah. for people that want more of that detail, I'm more than willing to share because I think there's a lot of good information there that people can learn from because someone can improve out of that situation. It's not always the normal, but Terry yeah. was not a normal guy. Okay. Right. So I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you there. So. No, 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 no. Um, but I mean, I. So I'm, I'm married. I've been with my wife for going on almost 11 years, married for four. And, mm -hmm. you know, I think it was 26, maybe I just turned 27 when we got married. Mm -hmm. Just hearing, you know, like what you said after the bombing, that's kind of when your, your relationship started to maybe come back together. Back together. A bit. Yeah. 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 I, I don't know. I'm thinking about like all of the stories that people suggesting that you had filed the restraining order blah, blah, blah. And I don't want to downplay it, but I'm putting myself in your situation mm -hmm. and it seems more boring than what people are making it out to be. You know what I mean? The end. Oh, yeah. What's that just makes sense. About it, it would have been boring. Um, yeah. No, I'm okay with being basic. I'm okay with it. I'm fine. Yeah. I'm easy. I'm easy going that way. Um, I'm salty in other ways, <laughs> which I think you figured out, but um, you know, it's, you got to, if you, if I put a timeline to it, to it, it's more understandable. Terry got on with the force in 89. He gets called up for desert storm. He's in his last week of his FTO phase. And there's, we didn't talk about that one. Um, I have a problem with one of the CNN people that were there. And that was Larry Sproul because Larry Sproul, there is bad blood between Terry and Larry Sproul and he's never been brought up before. And suddenly he's brought up to recite this story that's just phenomenal that I don't think happened. I never heard it. <laughs> and I've heard a lot of stories from Terry, but this is one I've never heard. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, where he recounts this superhuman strength of running in hundred degree weather to, you know, to come and clear the room from him when actually the stories that I heard from Terry were um, less flattering and Sergeant Sproul was the reason that, to my knowledge, I don't want to be a liar, but I think I'm right on this one. Terry was the only officer that got called up to go to Desert Storm that was made to repeat his FTO phase. And that was based on reports by Sergeant Larry Sproul. And that's because Sergeant Larry Sproul was dating one of the cadets that Terry was a friend of. So I'm a little, I'm a little salty about Sproul. Um, I don't like to talk bad about anybody. I even gave Jim Ramsey a break. Scroll gets none. <laughs> so <laughs> none, no breaks. Okay. He does not belong. It's 
you know, you look at everybody else that fits and he's the one thing that does not belong in that equation. And I'm right. that made me glad that I did not be a part of the interview. So. Okay. Well, anyway. all right. Uh, Tanya, do you have any final thoughts or anything that you felt like we should have covered uh, here? I know that we kind of like dance around some of the relationship stuff. I keep in mind, uh, you know, I'm going to pass you off to Chris after this. So if there's stuff that's in especially like relationship stuff, that's a little bit more personal. You may not want to do it in a, in a situation like this. Also, we're already an hour and a half. Um, uh, you know, I mean, if you want to go on that, you can, but I mean, there's, there's a lot that you'll be able to tell him in a more private uh, situation for his article. Uh, but is there anything that you felt like we should have covered anything important? Obviously we could yeah. probably do another hour. We could keep going. Uh, but uh, yeah, if there's anything you've, uh, you felt like we should well, go into and if not, I'll, finish, final that I'll finish that timeline a little bit. I got a little yeah. hung up on scroll cause that's been burning in the heart <laughs> a little bit. Um, so, um, so he comes back from desert storm in 1991. Um, and he is the only one that had to redo his FTO phase. And because of that, that is one of the reasons why they could cut me and the girls out of his retirement. He was six months short or like four months short or something like that of being vested. And that was based on the fact he had to redo his FTO phase. Um, anyhow, but so he had high frustration when he came back. He was also dealing with being a little sick. All of them were sick when they came back from the Gulf War. Um, you know, they were dealing with like, it looked like, oh, like they looked like little pencil markings coming up out of the skin. Imagine from being out there in the oil fields, he was still detoxing. Um, so he was dealing with that for another six months. Um, being a young guy going off to war, he, um, you know, guys look thinking that they're going to have their last day and that's when they start doing things they shouldn't be doing. And that was the controversy between us in 1992, just before Kenna was born. Um, so we were dealing with that and that it kind of all came to a head in 1993. And it was mostly because, I mean, I, I think you can figure out that I, I can be a real sweetheart, but I can be a real flat footed person. You know, like I said, not a lot of drama and not everybody knows how to deal with that energy. Most people are ready for the tug of war and the drama and the cries. And the, I'm, it's like, you do what you want to do. And that was hard for him to handle, hard for him to process. And so there was a time where he could not recognize where I was coming from and he just kind of lost it. And that's the year of the, uh, the physical confrontations. That's that's what happened there. So 94, he, nothing happened after that. It was in 94, but I was still a little untrusting, obviously. Um, and where the VPO actually came from is this Terry not being able to handle my my very flat footed energy of, you know, this or that. And so he wouldn't leave. <laughs> he, he forced my hand to have to do a kick out order. And that's where the one came from. We had not had an abuse incident. And I stated as such. And he also stated as such in his, he was directed by his supervisors. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't seem to get a control, but you just, you don't admit anything. You turn the tables on her. So he listened to that until he got to court and he just had seen me just ball my eyes out because I was so hurt by his lie. And he knew me well enough to know that that, I mean, I think that reaction freaked him out. And so once he, once the bombing happened, then it was like, I have to fix this. So he took responsibility for everything. That entire year, 
It was, if you, if you want a divorce, I won't fight you. I won't fight you for the kids. I won't fight you for uh, you. I'll leave you and the babies in the house. It was complete opposite. It was, I am willing to 100% lay down my arms. And I was willing to hear that. There were other factors also involved that came out later too, but that was just dumb guy stuff, dumb, being under 30 stuff. Um, but yeah, we were in a place where we were working towards it, but then every, but we had this humming in the background, what happened down at the bombing. I don't know what's going on and he can't explain it to me. And that's the one thing that he knows his wife requires. I can deal with anything. You just got to be straight with me so I can, I know what, I know where I'm at. I know what I got to do. And that was what was missing. And so there was a, we actually were going to stop the divorce entirely. I actually wrote a letter to my attorney, November 17th of 1995. And three days later, he comes back and he says, I was pulled into the chief's office. I was told that if I don't get a divorce, I don't have a job. I'm like, what? You know, I, mind you, Tanya's always willing to compromise, but I, you know, parlay with the pirates gets a little old. And, you know, it's like, I can't deal with this anymore. You either want to continue working it out. This is, you've made all the steps, including when he took responsibility. This is one thing the department does not want coming out. They wanted him to lie. And, it's, you know, think about it. He was in the D.A.R.E. program in 1994. Okay, they were not concerned about any domestic violence whatsoever. They were very concerned when he comes back and grows a conscience and says, Tanya didn't do anything wrong. She's never done me any harm. She's just young. <laughs> She's just younger than me. And, you know, and I'm screwing up. So I'm going to take the responsibility. And so, you know, they, they were very upset with him when during that year after the bombing, and during his, actually, I think it started before it, but he really, he really came around after the bombing, but he actually took a punishment, did community service at the YWCA and sat down there with those women and talked about his stuff. He had all, I mean, this is when a guy does that for you, he's serious. He's, he's serious. And that annoyed him. That annoyed his supervisors because that was bad, bad business for them, for him to take responsibility as an officer and not put it back on his wife. So that's why all these things. Yeah, that's that's part of the record. They don't want that being talked about, but that's what was going on. That's why the Tanya didn't say yes. Tanya didn't say no. Trying to make me look a little bit like I'm weird and crazy. No, it's because he was making real moves and we had not had any abuse that had happened long time prior. But there were certain things, obviously, if that has occurred, you know, you're going to need for your own emotional safety. And I'm a person who needs space. So the bombing didn't provide for that. Plus, we were being interfered with and being harassed and stalked. So, you know, you put all that in there. And I just happened to give them some little nugget. I'd been so good. And I made a mistake when I panicked. And it was like two days later, it was gone. And I just didn't know. But I, once he had said that in November, November of 1995, we have to divorce her. They said, I'll have no job. And then I let it go. I let it go ahead. But that's why we were still talking and we could be friends because I'm like, I don't understand what you're saying. He's like, you've, you've stuck with me on everything else. You've listened to me. If you trust me, please trust me on this. 
this is just let it go because I have to I have to take care of you and the girls. That was always the issue. So as things got weirder after the beginning of the year, if you remember, I said all those the car was being vandalized. It was costing me money. They were terrorizing me in the house, making it look like he was doing it. Okay. And he was saying he wasn't. That's why he wasn't upset when I moved out of the house. And then the next thing you know, boom, 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 boom. We're here at May 8th. So that's that's what I wanted to add that, you know, there are things that people could follow in their own relationship. Nobody has a perfect relationship, but I did understand my spouse pretty well. So and I was always willing to give him a chance to progress because he was such he was such a cool person. He was such a fun person, loving person, larger than life. Yes, he messed up. But, you know, when you have relationships like that, you know, you would hope that the person would at least allow you the space to make things right, whether you're going to be together or not. And that's what we always had with one another. That's why he trusted me. But he didn't trust me. Or maybe he just couldn't trust me because I probably would not be here in front of you if I'd known any more than what I do. So uh, he probably made the right call. Well, uh, all right, Tanya, this has been great. Uh, once again, I'll give you the chance to go into anything else you want or else give final thoughts. Yeah. But uh, this, yeah, this, this has been great. Uh, and uh, yeah, uh, with that, if whatever final thoughts you have, uh, if you have any call to actions for any audience, I mean, this is your time. This will be going out hopefully in the next few weeks. Uh, so whatever you have. I, well, I, I think I've already stated it. Like I said, I have very simple motivation. I was not at the bombing, but I, I know a guy that was. And mm -hmm. I am giving the best information that I can into what he may have endured and the likelihood he was a whistleblower. Um, and when you have an officer, someone who has witnessed elements of one of the biggest crimes we've had in this nation, um, you take over a crime scene because you're the best. You're, you've got all the resources at your disposal. I don't feel sorry for you. I don't want to hear a shrug of the shoulders anymore. I don't want CNN knocking at my door unexpectedly while I'm trying to live my life. I want you to change that death certificate. I want you to have to do the right thing so you can't keep doing this to people. It's wrong. Everyone was affected. My, my children were affected. And I want them to quit having this hanging over their head about their father. You know, I've, I've probably taken the biggest brunts of it. But like I said, that's that's part of the deal when you're part of the duo. That's that's how it works. So um, I just feel that no one needs to feel sorry for them. Every resource should have been done to put this case to rest. They didn't do it. So it always goes to the benefit of the accused. And Terry is the accused. And that's what I'd like to see happen. Uh, Chris, do you have any final thoughts, anything? Uh, if not, let no people know where they can find you and we'll, we'll go ahead and get out of here. This has been, a, this has been, this has been great. So. Um, tough story. Yeah. 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 Very tough. Um, the, the, the big thing is that it's closure for your family to get that death certificate changed, you know? Yeah. So that's, that's, what I'm getting from it. Um, yeah, and so they can't do this to everyone else. You can't do this to other yeah. people. 
you know? It's, yeah, yeah, because, you know, that's that's one of the things is how many other people has this happened to? And, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not trying to stir the pot in any way. There's mm -hmm. from all, if I'm going to look at it from all around, you know, there's many, many people that are not with us anymore that were at that site. And I'm just not willing to find it acceptable that we can just say, there's no hard evidence. Well, that's your job. I'm doing my job. You need to do your job. And if you didn't do your job, you forfeit. And that's why it needs to change. So the rules are the rules. It's, yeah. they don't need to ask me anymore about my relationship with him. They need to go ask yeah. your detectives. <laughs> right, ask yeah. Your detectives, yeah. make them answer. And if they don't have it, you forfeit. Yeah. It's a death certificate. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And on the hard evidence point, uh, that, that, that really, the, the thing is they labeled a suicide with no real hard evidence. What mm -hmm. evidence was there really that he committed suicide? If you analyze the case, uh, I mean, what, shot in the back of the head from a downward angle clearly was at a distance. I mean, yeah, theoretically possible, not very likely. Who does that? Uh, you know, uh, plenty of other things. There was no suicide note. I mean, nothing adds up about it being a suicide so as you put on before mentioned before uh they essentially accused him of being the murderer with no hard evidence so uh, mutilating yeah. himself in anger and you know it's it's a very violent crime i'm sorry i didn't mean to interrupt you but no, that, that sticks to me yeah. so um yeah, and, yeah and, he's been accused of murder mm -hmm. And for me, a call to action, uh, If for those out there that see this, if this comes across anyone, whether it be Ramona, any of the other first responders, uh, I know just rereading the articles, there were multiple people there that were, you know, just kind of mentioned offhand that they clearly have information. There are people out there, likely still today, that have information that would help with this. So, and because I mean, let's be real. Uh, I doubt that this interview will get the changed from a suicide uh, change. You know, the status uh, from suicide to you know undetermined or murder or whatever they want to go with. But you know, uh, uh, more people will make it more likely. More people with more damning information. There needs to be accountability so this doesn't happen again. Because. Uh, I mean, and I think now's the time. So, but with that, uh, this is the No Way Jose show. You can find this on YouTube, all the major podcasters, Rumble. You can follow me on Twitter at Targeting Jose if you want to support me. Patreon.com, No Way Jose 2020. I uh, really appreciate you coming on, Tanya. Uh, sure. Thank you, Chris, for being here. Um, and yeah, um, that's that. And we're out of here. Thanks. Stream is.